Hallo und willkommen zum Biennale Podcast. Mein Name ist Alexandra Zavia. Ich unterhalte mich mit Gästen der Biennale 2022. Heute freue ich mich besonders, Nina Menkes begrüßen zu dürfen. Hi Nina. Hi. You're in Los Angeles right now? Yes, I am. I am in Vienna. We are doing this talk per video call. Now, uh, Nina, we are talking about your film Brainwashed. And uh, please let me try and describe in about one sentence what it is about. It is about representation in cinema, uh, how a shot design, that is the visual language of a film, Uh, reproduces, uh, reinforces, um, and maintains patriarchal power structures. And uh, now, when I'm describing it like this, I feel like I'm only, you know, tipping the top of an iceberg. And that's due to how powerful and how, you know, rich the film is. So please uh, tell us a little about how you were approaching the topic or how it came to you in the first place um thank you so much i'm um it's been really exciting i just want to say to hear reactions to the film because you know we really weren't sure how people were going to react and and it's really exciting to hear that 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 people are moved um and energized by the film or maybe also depressed by the film but um at the same time <laughs> energized by the film um The, the process of, of making this film was very different than, than my other work. Some people in Vienna know my work because I had a retrospective in Vienna and I've shown my work there over the years many times. And my narrative films, they all are very interior. They all came from inside me, from a deep place inside me and sort of called to me and asked me to make them. Um, so it was sort of an inside out uh, process. And this film, Brainwash, uh, is a little bit opposite. Like the film came to me from the outside. So what happened is that, you know, I myself was a victim of a severe employment discrimination um, in the field of cinema and severe employment discrimination against women directors. I, I made my first film, uh, my first feature, Magdalena Viraga, um, in uh, the UCLA Film School in 1986. And I, I won some major awards and it showed all over the world. And no one called me, no one cared, no one gave me any money. And I started teaching as a way to survive. And I, I kept teaching and I kept making my films sort of outside the system on super, super low budgets. And uh, Through the process of my teaching, you know, sort of late in life, I also was introduced to uh, film theory, like, uh, you know, first of all, of course, the famous Laura Mulvey uh, essay, Visual Pleasure, but also Judith Butler and Bell Hooks and, you know, many others who came after. And I tried then in my teaching to bring some examples from real life filmmaking to the production students. You know, because usually, I don't know in, in Europe, but at least in the United States, the film theory people and the production people, you know, they never, they never meet. Um, so I would bring, uh, so I was teaching obviously production, not a theory because I'm not a theorist, um, but I, I read some of these articles and I tried to give some examples of how does this 
uh, some of these theoretical ideas, how do they manifest concretely in these films that we all think are the greatest masterpieces of cinema, right? Um, and so, okay, so I just, whoops, I, I just gave this talk, uh, you know, over the years to my students and, you know, basically no one was interested uh, outside of the classroom. Um, and then to jump to 2017, the Weinstein story hit in the New York Times. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking about how what happened with Weinstein, which was basically an expose of this unbelievable uh, sexual harassment and assault that goes on in the uh, Hollywood film industry and not only Hollywood, of course, and the visual language of cinema and the employment discrimination that I had personally experienced, but of course, thousands and thousands of other women directors had experienced. And I wrote a short essay for Filmmaker Magazine, which I thought like at the maximum 50 people would read. And this, this article went viral. I mean, 5,000 people shared it on Facebook and it became their most popular article of the year. Then I got invited to give my talk in Sundance and Rotterdam and BFI and all over the place. And um, it was incredible. And everywhere I went, people came up to me and said, please make this into a documentary film. So, so I'm just saying like in contrast to my other films, it was really not my idea. You know, it was really people sort of in a way coming and, and requesting it. It seemed there was a real need for it. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's how the, the film uh, started. Yeah. Quite, quite a story, but it's interesting uh, what you're saying about your narrative films, because like Queen of Diamonds, Blood Child, uh, Phantom Love, they are dealing with uh, the psychology of their female protagonists. And uh, also in those films, it, it's quite apparent how you're interested in the connection of, you know, psychology and cinema. So actually this film, Brainwashed, I mean, fits perfectly, basically, because that's what you're talking about too, right? Absolutely. It absolutely does. Um, but for sure, um, the basic issues uh, that are looked at in Brainwash are core to all the films that I made. It's, it's just a very different approach, you know, and it's, it's sort of giving the context to my films, you might say. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of redundant to ask about your own feminist education because it kind of like, you know, happened on the way. But um, what do you, how did you go about selecting which films you wanted to talk about? In, in Brainwash, you mean? Exactly. Well, we, you know, um, we were trying to limit it primarily to sort of the so-called masterpieces of cinema, the films that that win Khan and the win the Academy Award are very famous films. Um, because I think everybody knows that, you know, music videos are very sexist and everybody knows that games are very sexist and everybody knows that advertising has always put, you know, the sexualized body of a woman lying on a car and blah, blah, blah. So this is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they sort of conveniently forget that when they walk into Once Upon a Time by Quentin Tarantino, or if we look at Contempt by Godard, or if we look at any of Godard's films, um, you know, if we look at Martin Scorsese, all of these 
great directors and of course not only men you know Sofia Coppola is one of the examples that we show Patty Jenkins women directors do it too um when we look at these you know masterpieces of world cinema so-called um we see the reproduction of extremely se sexist visual language and I, I think it's really important to note that although many of the films that I selected for Brainwashed um, are films that I don't particularly like at all, such as Blade Runner 2049, um, but I also include films that I love, like Metropolis. I love it. It's genius. And Vertigo by Hitchcock. I love it. It's genius. Uh, so there are films that are that are absolutely fantastic, but they also have this, you know, male gaze way of shooting in them, you know? And so uh, it's important for me to say that um, although many films use this language and, and they're horrible, some great films use the language too. So the main thing is, is that this language is just absolutely all over the place. Did you did you actually realize this when you were seeing like Vertigo for the first time? I think that um, when I saw Vertigo for the first time, um, I think that, I mean, I loved it right away. I think that I knew <laughs> that the whole film was from a masculine point of view. And I knew that, you know, Kim Novak was a sexualized feminine object. Um, I I knew that. I don't know that I could have articulated it the first time I saw it. But what is interesting is that I was able to look at Vertigo and say, look, this is a great film. I think it's an incredible film. And in fact, I even reference it in Phantom Love. There's a shot in Phantom Love. If you see it on 35 millimeter, there's a zoom in to the main character, the back of her head, and she has uh, her hair is done exactly like uh, the woman in Vertigo. So um, at the same time, when I saw that film, and I, I'm probably speaking for most women when they saw the film, you kind of wish you were Kim Novak. You want to be her. You want to imitate her. You want to look like that. You want to be beautiful and alluring and mysterious. But then you come up against the fact that, you know, being beautiful and alluring and mysterious and being far over there in the distance, you know, the obscure object of desire. Well, but wait a minute, but I'm a human being and I'm here and I'm real. So how do you put those things together? And so there's a disconnect that happens. And I think that disconnect, almost all women have probably felt that disconnect, you know? And so what I've heard from audiences as I'm touring around the world, a lot of them have come up and said to me, you know, I always felt some weird thing, but I didn't have a language for it. And you've given me a language for it. I suppose you were reaching out to the to to many of the filmmakers of the films you were addressing. Uh, nobody wanted yeah. to participate. What what was the reaction? Most, most <laughs> did um, we reached out, of course, not directly to these people, but to their agents. Mm -hmm. uh, the gatekeepers in Hollywood are are uh, are paid to keep you away <laughs> from these people. Um, so we did reach out to Spike Lee. Um, to you know martin scorsese to denis villeneuve to sofia coppola on and on i don't remember the whole list most 
of the big directors whose clips are in the film, we did reach out to their representation. We asked if they would like to participate um, with an on-camera interview. And everyone said, you know, no, they're busy right now. Um, and the people that ended up being in the film are um, women and non-binary <laughs> um, friends, basically. Um, and those people in, you know, in the end, we sort of looked at the film and we went, wow, they're all basically all women. There's one non-binary guy doing the interviews. Um, that was not sort of a plan that I had from the beginning. Um, but it was, those were the people who wanted to be in the film. Um, and so, and we asked, of course, a, a big range of people, but the people who said yes are people who themselves have experienced this shit. Yeah, that's interesting because, of course, you you can ask yourself why didn't you interview men? And um, there were I read there or heard there were some reactions, you know, kind of like reproaching you for not, um, uh, you know, for not making a different film, basically for not, you know, <laughs> uh, being <laughs> more balanced. More yeah, as far yeah. as I understand it, as far as I understand it, it's a polemic and it's. It's meant to be a polemic, so I'd, I'd like to hear your 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 uh, your uh, explanation yeah. or your thinking about. Um, it. Well, um, yeah, there there were various people who've complained about the film for many different reasons. Um, I I should say uh, we we expected that, um, but it's it's uh, nevertheless you know interesting to read a review where they say, well, I wish you had done this and this and this and this and this. I'm like, okay, well, you go make that film. I mean, go ahead and make it. That's not what this film is, you know? Or, um, you know, there, there was one reviewer who said, you know, girls just want to have fun. You know, girls just want to have fun. It's like, okay, you know. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, seriously. So, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. Um, uh, why uh, or what was your idea oh, behind? Oh, you know, the, polemic, the polemic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is it polemical? It's completely polemical. Um, we're not trying to present a balanced view on the male gaze. Um, we are trying to balance 120 years of the male gaze on our backs. And that's also why the film is so devastating because you're sitting there realizing all those things and then also saying, yeah, but it's not done yet. You know, it's yeah, not finished. Yeah. That's right. Um, thank you for saying that because that's uh, what we really hope for this film is that it's, it, it's a conversation starter. You know, we're not trying to say we have the last word. We're saying, look at these things. Let's discuss. Let's talk about it. You want to go make a film that's like part two brainwashed? Please go make it. I will love to see it. You know, I would love to see it. So um, there was no way. There were a lot of side streets that I wanted to go down and we just didn't have time. I mean, just like one thing for example was just the age difference you know the annenberg um is this big you know foundation here in los angeles that does a lot of research on gender disparity in cinema so they have you know how many men are are directing and how many women are directing and how many men are producers and how many women are producers and how many men are acting in the lead role and how many women are acting in the lead role, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for example, one thing that they do not look at is what is the age of the men in the lead role and what is the age of the women in the lead role? 
you know, and I'm really going to be calling out to Annenberg to take a look at that because you will see that the men are very often 25 to 30 years older than the female lead. So even if you just look at, you know, male lead to female lead, it's going to look like, okay, it's not that bad. But what if you look at the age? How many male leads, you know, from age 20 to 99 and how many women leads and they're all like 20 to 40 you know so there's just so many different things to look at about the way that this oppression sits on us and you know really fucks with us this attempt to subvert the male gaze in cinema um, I don't think it's successfully done what do you feel how do you view it because well, you can look at I mean, like, let's let's take some recent films, you know, by men and women. Um, Crimes of the Future by Cronenberg. Uh, okay, it's uh, the men are, you know, 30 years older than the women. Um, it's all male uh, men talking to each other. They allow the woman who, you know, Leia Seydoux, she's she's given kind of a role that has a little bit more substance. Um, <clears throat> But if you if you look at if you think about the plot of that film, I mean, she's supposed to have been working with him for a long time and she was a doctor before. And, you know, if you do the math, it's like, oh, so she was a doctor when she was five years old. It doesn't even make sense. But she had to be a young, beautiful woman and he gets to be 65. And then there's one scene where there's three women together talking to each other. And then the two of the women take off their clothes and lie there naked. That's the only time you have three women talking together. Yeah. So that's an example of 2022. What about Teton? Exactly. Teton starts off with um, a sexualized woman on direct display for the camera. It really has nothing to do with the story. Why does she start like that? And that again, you have the, the, the woman who's like 25 and the male lead is 65. And, and most of the time she's running around naked. That's a film directed by a woman. That's a film that obviously won the Palmdale. Yeah. Or, or look at a film like, like Zola by Janiska Bravo. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, but you know, it's, it starts with all these close-ups on a woman shaking her ass on a, on a stripper pole. How many films have been made by women featuring prostitutes and strippers dancing on poles? Yeah, and it feels like I tell you how many. There's a millions and the hustlers. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels like uh because it's made by a woman, it's kind of like legit to to yeah. like that. It's it's weird. It's yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, I, I, I mean I, I just think that, you know, women have been so indoctrinated that they don't even realize maybe that they're doing it or they, there's this idea that, you know, self-objectification is empowering. Mm -hmm. Now, I will object to the idea that self-objectification is empowering. <laughs> I object to that on an intuitive level. Mm -hmm. But more than me objecting to it on an intuitive level, they've actually done research on this. Since the Me Too movement, there was quite a bit of actual sort of, you know, studies done. And they did find that... Uh, like teenage girls who self-objectify a lot with Instagram and, you know, naked and posing, these um, people have a much higher acceptance of sexual harassment and assault, and they're less likely to report it, and they're more likely to accept it. 
and they have higher levels of body shame. So this is, you know, this objectification is not a groovy thing. You know, people want to try to make it into a sexy thing. That's the cover-up. If Blonde had come out last year, we would we could have taken five or six scenes from that film as perfect examples. So you have a movie there again where supposedly it's about abuse and exploitation of a woman while it is abusing and exploiting the woman through shot design. And in this case, actually, amazingly, um, the critics the critics have all said that. The mm -hmm. critics have all come out and, and said that. You know, they're all objecting to that film, which is interesting to me. I mean, because mm -hmm. I really wouldn't have expected that. Mm -hmm. It is interesting. Um, how what why did you choose the 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 order of the brainwashed uh the order of the words brainwashed sex camera power uh why in this order um well we had the idea you know it's sort of we were trying to play on um light camera action you know which mm -hmm. is i don't know if it translates in german but there's sort of this you know lights camera action so we were like sex camera power <laughs> like it's like um you have you know um it's it's made to be into this art form but it's actually a system uh of reproducing power relations and mm -hmm. making sure that you know women feel like their beauty and their sexuality is their only real strength which is really sad tragic and problematic I cannot and actually I do not want to add anything to that. Thank you very much for this talk, Nina. All the best to you. Danke fürs Zuhören. Bis zum nächsten Biennale Podcast. Thank you.